Let's go for it. So it's my turn to interview you this time. Yeah, I'm looking um, forward to it. I'm going without notes here, so we'll see how it goes. I'm sure you'll handle it just fine. I'm sure you'll let me know if I miss something that you want to talk about, too. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so let's start off with uh, how you got to Scotland. What uh, what led you to that? Yeah, um, so I was born and raised in the church, uh, and really it was not really a decision that I needed to make. More it was kind of an expectation, it felt. So I kind of just lived my life according to that plan and uh, did all the things necessary leading up to it. Um, and for me, it was kind of interesting the way that everything worked out with regards to my mission call. Um, so I took three years of Spanish in junior high and high school. And my mom served a Spanish speaking mission in Peru. And so because of the likelihood of being one of the many that did serve in such a, a mission, that was kind of what I was prepared for was something more stateside, um, speaking Spanish or going central or South America or, you know, maybe Spain or something, but really Europe didn't cross my mind much at all. And if I was going to go English speaking, I w wanted to go somewhere cool, but Scotland just wasn't on my radar. I was thinking like Australia or New Zealand or something like that. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, so the story for when I received my mission call was kind of similar to yours, except you executed it perfectly. I did not. Um, so I knew when it was coming, I'd submitted my paperwork and was waiting for the call to come in the mail, um, three weeks later, or whatever the time frame was. And, um, I was really anxious to get that call. And so I, at the time I was working a job where I could go really early in the morning, get my tasks done and be done by 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. So I came home at about 10 o'clock and did my, you know, round the house chores, like mowing the lawn and getting house clean and stuff. But I was like a, a hawk just waiting for that mailman to pull up. And, um, for some reason I must've got distracted just long enough, but, the mailman had come and gone and I wasn't paying attention. I went out to the mailbox, opened the mailbox, saw the mail there, thumbed through everything and nothing was there. And I was like, how, how did I miss that? I mean, it, it has to be, it has to have come today. So honestly, I went from the mailbox really, really kind of, I don't know, depressed, I guess you could say. Like I was like, I gotta wait a whole nother week for this thing to show up. Yeah. And um, unbeknownst to me, my mom, I had told her in a candid conversation a few days before, she goes, What what are you gonna do when you get your call? And I said, I don't know. If I get it, I'm just gonna open it and then I'll know and no one else will. <laughs> well, she took that to heart, and so she she like followed the mail truck around our neighborhood until it got to our house. And then she took my mission call out of the mailbox before I got to the mailbox. So your mom executed perfectly. She did. Yeah. And I didn't think she had it in her, but clearly she did. Um, so 
you know, later on that evening, she, she said, Hey, I've got something for you. And I was like, okay. And I was just really in a really crappy mood. And, uh, she like goes somewhere and pulls out the envelope. And I was like, I was pissed. Sorry for the British. Dirty dog. I was very, very upset. I was angry. And, um, so anyway, I end up opening it and similar to you because I had never thought about Scotland. I'm serving in the Scotland Edinburgh mission. And, uh, my, my aunt was really excited because um, she had served in Scotland in the mid, early to mid eighties, and so that was really exciting That's to cool. connect with her and talk with her about places she had served and people that she was trying to connect me with. But um, yeah, it was it was really a surprise. I didn't really have any expectation of what life looked like in Scotland, other than just knowing that, you know, it was the land of tartan and kilts. And I had so many friends that were absolutely envious of me. And they're like, dude, you could go to Scotland and, you know, wear kilts and run around like, uh, Mel Gibson and Braveheart. And I was like, I guess, you know, I hadn't really thought about that, but so, yeah, so I got my mission call. Um, that was the first week of October in 20 goodness 2003 four yeah you're right 2004 and then um i was scheduled to enter the mtc in preston on january 5th so um it seemed like a short run-up because it was really only what three months october november december and uh days in there Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, like, uh, like my timeline getting to the mission was pretty hectic, especially after Christmas, because that was the same year that the University of Utah's football team went to the Fiesta Bowl. And I was very fortunate because I had a, my best buddy, he was born a day earlier than me, but I got his call a week earlier than I did. So he went into the mission fields went to the MTC um, the last week of December and my family had planned a trip to drive down <laughs> to, to Phoenix and go to the Fiesta Bowl. So if I remember correctly, the game was on Saturday, January 1st. And then we drove home um, Sunday, January 2nd. I was ordained an elder Monday, January 3rd. And then Tuesday, I was on an airplane to make it to the MTC by wow. January 5th. So it was kind of a whirlwind, but uh, I was very grateful that the timeline happened the way it did because I was able to go and experience that game. And as you well know, that's a big part of who I am and, uh, yeah. and my, my life. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of the whole story about how I got my call and uh, that's the cool. rest. The rest is history. I didn't know your mom served in Peru. So did my mom. Oh, really? Interesting. Yep. That is a small world. <laughs> so, cool. So give us give us a rundown on the two years, right? Just tell us what areas you served in 
we're going to go through this quick because we'll come back to it. But yeah, let's give us the brief. Yeah, so um, started in Peterhead, served there for two transfers. Um, from there, was transferred to Dunfermline, uh, just across from Edinburgh in the Firth of Forth. Um, was there for six months, so four transfers. And from there, I uh, went to the Isle of Orkney for a uh, short stint. It was only four weeks. And then they closed the area, and I was moved to the um, Glasgow Zone Leaders area for two weeks. Um, there was a, an AP from the area that went in, and I kind of supplanted that. Um, and then from there, I'm sorry, I think I missed one. I served in Johnston after, yeah, that was early in my mission. Man, I'm, mix, I'm mixing this up. Okay, let's start again. <laughs> Peterhead, and then Dunfermline. Then I was in Johnston for six weeks. Then I was in Orkney for four weeks. Then two weeks in Glasgow. Then I was transferred to the Montrose Ward and lived in Arbroath. I was there for six months. Then I was transferred to Hamilton, south of Glasgow. Um and then from Glasgow or from Hamilton, I was transferred into the Aberdeen zone leader area. And that's where I finished my mission. So I had three areas that were six months in duration and then a few short stops in between. Yeah. So I'm real short, I guess, two weeks in Glasgow. So, yeah, which was unfortunate. I had a great companion at the time, elder bear, and we had more fun um, serving together that two weeks than I, it felt like we were together for a full transfer, but man, it was very, very quick. Cool. All right. So post-mission, let's talk about you know, what have you been up to since then? I know it's been a lot. You could probably yeah. start where you left off, right? With the University of Utah. Yeah. Going back and being a leader. Yeah, for sure. Well, interestingly enough, um, when I came home, my... I had, I came home the same day that I had left on the 5th of January and enrollment had already happened for the um, spring semester, but my mom enrolled me in two classes at Solid Community College um, just to kind of get my feet wet, do some general education stuff. So I was at, uh, I was actually at Slick for two years okay. and uh, in the meantime, um, I had some buddies that were at the U and they helped me secure a uh, a must pass to go to the football games and the basketball games and stuff like that. Um, but uh, the story of how I transferred from Slick to the U was they finally figured out that there were people like myself who were not enrolled students that were members of the must. And so they said, we're going to start making you show your student ID in order to get in. So I actually, um, I don't know how I pulled this off because I don't remember having any sort of like documented letter saying I was accepted to the U, but I just went up and enrolled in a single class so that I had my student ID. And then I finished out, um, that was one of my required classes for my general education. So I transferred that course from Utah to Salt Community College, got my 
my general eds and then transferred it all back to Utah and then was a full-time student there until I graduated in 2011. Um, and in 2009, I met my wife um, there at the U. We were actually on the board for the, uh, the, the must together. So we shared some common interests, which was a lot of fun. And that's still one of our passions together um, as a couple. But uh, so we, we met the spring of 2009, started dating officially in the summer of 2009, got engaged in November of 2009, and we were married in June of 2010. So um, in a few weeks here, we'll be celebrating our 12th anniversary, which is pretty exciting. Um, from there, my life has been a complete whirlwind. Um, what do you, what do you study in undergrad? My undergraduate degree was in, uh, I did parks, recreation and tourism with an emphasis in sport and leisure management. Um, and the reason sounds that, like a lot of fun, it, it really was, I mean, that was kind of the essence I, I discovered, um, during college that obviously there are people that work in the athletic department and that's their job. So I thought, well, how would I pursue something like that? Um, talked to a couple of people that became mentors and said, Hey, this is kind of the path you should take and found it and ran with it. So obviously the sports management side was just part of who I was already. You know, I was all, all about the athletic side of things, but I just was learning the business side as opposed to the fun side, um, which was a little bit of a change of pace for me. I was a pretty fanatic um, individual when it came to going to games and participating in athletics as a student. But uh, so in order to complete my, my undergraduate degree, I had to have an internship um, the summer of 2011. And there wasn't a lot that was offered in the Salt Lake area because I was really hoping to find something that paid something so that I wasn't just, you know, the, the free help to uh, the people that I was working for. Um, couldn't find anything that really suited what I needed for that summer. And so, um, took a flyer and moved to LA. Um, and in the process of moving to LA, I actually applied for a couple of internships, um, and was notified before we moved that I had received both internships. Um, so I worked that summer at the Rose Bowl, um, in their, um, in their events department and, uh, and then also worked in the, on the ticketing side with the LA sparks and the WNBA. So that was pretty cool. I mean, kid from Utah hadn't really seen a lot of big things, but, uh, was running around on the field, the Rose bowl some days. And then, um, a couple of times we got to go shoot hoops on the Staples center floor when, you know, Kobe, Kobe was kind of a big deal at that point in time. But, uh, yeah, that was a really cool experience and, uh, really got my feet wet of where I wanted to be in sports. Um, all the people that I had networked with said, you got to get into sales. You got to get into most, most prominently was ticket sales, um, in order to move up in the ranks of athletics. So that's what I did. Um, I, in the, in the meantime, I did the, the, the leisure side of, parks, recreation, and tourism. I worked at a golf course for about six or seven months. Um, I worked a part-time job doing ticket sales with AEG, 
which is the company that owns the Staples Center and a lot of venues now all over the world. Um, but I was working specifically selling tickets to the Pac-12 ba- basketball tournament the last year that it was at the Staples Center. Oh, wow. And, uh, and from there, um, my goal when I got to L.A. is I wanted to work for for, for UCLA. That was just one of the goals I kind of pinned on my this is going to happen board. And uh, I networked with some people that eventually saw a great opportunity for me. They had just decided to start a new ticket sales program at UCLA. And so I had one of my connections that called me and said, hey, this job is for you. You need to apply for it. So I applied and thought I'm a long shot. But I found out later I was a shoe in because um, I was the only person at the at the interview. It was a big group interview that had actually done phone sales or done ticket sales before. So, um, I worked at, uh, UCLA, um, God, what was that? 2011, the, the spring of 2012. Um, and we loved living in LA. It was just, it was a hard time. Um, everything was kind of still in an economic recovery. And so it was expensive to live in LA and I wasn't making much money working at a public university and my wife had a decent job, which she thought was being paid a lot, but as far as the expenses in LA, it just wasn't enough. So we made a collective decision to move back to Utah. Um, I had a job opportunity that was floated in front of me, but I wasn't quite sure it would work for me, but I needed management experience to continue to move up in the ticket sales ranks. And uh, so I ended up working with, the Utah Grizzlies, the minor league hockey team in Salt Lake for a season, which was a lot of fun. Hockey was not my first choice of sports, but it's a fun sport to watch, especially when you're invested in the team. Um, So I did that for 13 months. Um, During that time period, I actually decided to go back to school and get my master's degree and was fortunate that the only school that I applied to, I got into which was Gonzaga University. And um, they had a master's of master's of uh, sport and athletic administration um, that for the first, the first time they had offered as an online program. So for like working professionals and I applied and got in. So it was a two year program. Um, I didn't actually live in Spokane, but was just working and also doing um, school. And at the same time, um, shortly after I got into my master's program, found out my wife was pregnant with our daughter. So the uh, my third semester of, of that uh, graduate program was the most hectic. I was, we, we actually moved three months, two or three months before um, my daughter was born. So we moved to to Logan. I got a job working at Utah state, um, in their athletic department doing ticket sales. Um, so we moved and my daughter was born. And I think that was a semester that I had like sports law that they talked about. And for for a reason, they just had you read a bunch of lawsuits and stuff to figure out what sports law was. And it was just, it was one of the hardest semesters that I've ever dealt with having a full-time job where I'm working 60 hours a week, have a new baby at home and trying to get, get a master's degree. So, but I, I did it. 
accomplished that, uh, graduated in 2015 from Gonzaga. And then the next year, I, uh, the job at Utah State was great and loved every minute of living in Logan. It just uh, it fell apart. There was some contractual things that, that happened there. And so I was looking for the next opportunity. And I actually had a connection through LinkedIn that reached out to me and said, hey, would you ever consider living in, in Oregon? And I was like, well, I'd been to Oregon once and I thought it was fine. So I thought I'd check it out and uh, ended up getting a job working for the Pac-12 at uh, Oregon State University and living in Corvallis. Um, and that was honestly a fun, fun gig. Enjoyed every minute of it. Um, but unfortunately, they had some changes in their administration about six months into my job. And the shuffle found me on the outside as opposed to still moving forward, which was unfortunate. But at that point in time, I just thought, you know, I've got to figure out what I can do to stabilize my family and put us in a place where we can um, have some longevity because we'd moved so many times. Um, so the last move we made is hopefully the last one we'll ever make. So we moved to Colorado in 2018 and I started a job working at a home builder, worked there for about 10 months and thought I can sell houses. Why do I have to just sell this builder's houses? I want to sell them all. So I got my real estate license in uh, the summer of 2019, and I've been a realtor since that time. And um, and then also helped my wife. She's established herself um, in the real estate industry as well as working with a few other small businesses with a marketing um, company that she's established. It's called New Hue Visual Pros, and um, she's incredibly, incredibly good at her job, and I'm really proud of her for those accomplishments. But so we live in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. We've lived here now for almost four years and love everything about Colorado. It's a great place to raise a family and has a lot of amazing perks to it, especially the sports. I love getting out to sports, sporting events, going to uh, the Rockies game this week with my sister. should be fun. Cool. Yeah, that's great. So for those of you who don't know that that business Zach briefly mentioned, you got to follow him on Instagram, follow his wife on their, their social media feeds, you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, all that. And yeah. if you see any drone footage, that's pilot Zach, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. That's become one of my, I would say it's a hobby more than anything. I just get the opportunity to go and fly around the city and take pictures and videos. And it's pretty dang fun. Yeah. You guys do awesome work. So. And I mentioned last time Zach was my realtor, found helped me find the house up here. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was a dream come true. When you reached out and said you're moving here, I was like, slam dunk, let's get it done. <laughs> yeah. Slam dunk for both of us. Yeah. The, market, exactly. the market's still crazy here, but I got in yeah. at, I definitely got in at the right time. Yes, you did. Absolutely. Yeah, very good. So uh, and beyond that, you know. You know, church calling stuff. I've been in every ward. I serve in a different capacity. Most often, it's been teaching Sunday school to one of the youth classes. I have been a young men's—I wouldn't say the president, but you know, the leader of the young men's at uh, in one one group, um, and served in a couple of elders' quorum presidencies, and 
my most recent calling, I was the second counselor in the Sunday school presidency, which was honestly my favorite job that I've had in, yeah. in, in the church. So, okay. Yeah. Cool. And your, your daughter's like in second grade now. Yes. So a week, a week from now, she will have finished second grade. So she'll be in third grade in the fall. Very so cool. pretty cool. All right. Well, man. Yeah, we, we both moved around a ton and hopefully are settled here in Colorado. Yes, so, indeed. Any of you listening want to come visit Colorado? Got a couple yeah. places you can stay. If you want we to move will. here, Zach can hook you up with that too. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. Very good. That's a good recap, man. So much happens like in that those few years after the mission that mm -hmm. it's just it's crazy so, yes indeed and there's and, all that more that's coming too yeah i'm really i'm really glad though that we were able to reconnect i think i saw you a couple times when i was at byu and you were at utah i saw you once at a basketball game where you got arrested i think <laughs> i don't th i don't think i told you but i was working for the byu police department at that time so were you really yeah I don't but know I, didn't, ever... I didn't. I didn't call the fuzz on you. I promise. I don't know that I remember. Did, were you? Did you see that happen from afar? Do I need to disclose my? No, no, no. <laughs> you don't, don't have to go into your record here. Yeah, uh, goodness. No, I think I like it was a BYU Utah game at BYU. I gave you a hug like uh, on the veranda, like yeah. walking around the outside after the game, and I think you got arrested like probably five minutes after that. So. But it was, I had nothing to do with it. I'm going to clear the record real quick. I wasn't arrested. I was th threatened to be thrown in whatever BYU calls their like tank for the night. If I didn't get off of the private property of BYU. There you go. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> rowdy Utah fans, you know, yeah. I, I, I was immediately assumed to be some drunken, crazy person. And so. <laughs> they had to physically remove me from uh, from the Marriott yeah. Center. You were a threat. That's that's what it was. Clearly, it was the red shirt. It had to be that. <laughs> All right. So, uh, back to the mission. Let's go back. So we started out. You started out with me, right? Mm -hmm. Peter Head. Yeah. We, we talked quite a bit about that last time. Um, but what what memories do you have being new? to scotland what was you know you talked about not knowing what to expect going in but yeah uh what what really caught you i guess well i think um you know just the pace initially was really hard to get on top of i mean i i don't know i i was fine with the the mtc and the routine and getting up and going to bed and stuff but being out and about for hours and hours a day was really just, it was hard on me initially. And as you mentioned, it didn't help the fact that it was January in Peterhead, or I guess it was yeah. like late January, early February. And the wind was just cutting through the entire town. I remember um, our flat that we lived in anytime the wind blew, blew which was pretty much all day. 
we had a couple of windows that didn't seal all the way. And so our, our flat whistled a lot, but, um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was definitely my biggest thing going into it. Um, I was a little sad because I had missed Burns night by like a week. And so I only got one Burns night celebration on my mission, which I wish I would have had more because I really enjoyed you were in the MTC for it first. Yeah, and yeah. they definitely didn't share share that uh, that piece of uh, Scottish heritage with us in Preston, England, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I loved every minute of our time together. I had a lot of fun with with the ward. Um, we had some really great members that uh, really just took great care of us and made sure that um, we kept going and continued to work for their behalf. I mean, um, I mean, some of my funniest experiences I think happened when we were together. Um, like I remember, I don't remember the name of the member of the bishopric who asked us to move, but my gosh, we showed up for that move on Saturday morning and other black, I believe brother black. He still owes us a meal. So when we're go- when are we going to go back for our meal? Yeah, <laughs> yeah they uh, they moved, and we were told that the elders' quorum, or at least other members of the quorum, were coming to help move. And so we loaded their truck at their home um, in our ward boundary, and then followed them to their home outside of the boundary, and unloaded their entire house from what was, I don't know, it had to have been at least a three or 4,000 square foot house in, in the, in the country into one of the little neighborhood homes that couldn't have been more than a couple thousand square feet. And I was just like, where is all of this stuff going? So, and uh, yeah, that was, that was something else. I was, I was definitely frustrated. And by the end of the day, I was just dead exhausted. So I was glad that you let me take a, a siesta because I, if I wouldn't have, I would have gotten sick and just been toast for a couple weeks or something. But, uh, one of the other things I was remembering too, is that you introduced me to the mission songs. So what the other missionaries had put together that were renditions of other popular songs that they had made missionary appropriate. And, uh, and we found an instrumental version of a P Diddy song that we made our own version to. I don't even know if I have a recording of that anywhere, but uh, that was just me being the rowdy. I've, I've got a cassette of it. Do you really? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. But we found that we found that disc. Like we were out chapping, and it was just in the dirt, like in somebody's garden. Yeah, I remember that. We picked it up and I was like, okay. And then we we just decided to write a song to it, which definitely never made like the top no. cir- circulated songs <laughs> in this in the Scotland Edinburgh mission, but you know, it is what it is. It was it was fun and good fun. uh good companionship uh piece that we put together. So I think that word almost more than any other, I think we integrated in pretty well, like not just as missionaries, but kind of as members of the ward mm-hmm. where we were in constant contact with the bishopric, the elders, quorum president, 
the Relief Society, and then participating in ward activities, helping out with, you know, getting other people to participate. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it really was. And, uh, you know, I was a little bit sad to not stick around when our last transfer happened because we got whitewashed out. Well, I guess it didn't whitewash. They closed the area, right, for yeah, they closed a few months. Yeah, a little bit. Um, they did open it by the time I was the zone leader in Aberdeen, which was fun because I got to go back and visit and see a few people. I didn't get to see everybody that that had been there, but uh, yeah. nevertheless, it was good. Um, so, uh, yeah, from there, I, I transferred to Dunfermline, which was a little bit different because I had uh, there was actually four missionaries in the ward. So my companionship and then another set of elders. And uh, we had way too much fun in that area. I mean, uh, first and foremost, I serve with um, Dan Conway. And uh, I'm going to call him out on this because being a newer missionary, I really didn't understand or know the protocol. But I didn't know what was happening in, in Dan's life. I know he was struggling a little bit with the 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 FOMO of not being able to watch Liverpool in their run to the 2005 UEFA Champions League final, but uh, in any case, there was one night in particular where I don't know if I had said something that I shouldn't have or whatever, but Dan said he was going to the bathroom or something, and he never came back, and I was like, well, where the heck did he go? And come to find out he had slipped out the front door of our flat and took off and I didn't know where he was. And um so when Dan comes on the podcast, we'll we'll call him out on that and ask him what was going on. But, yeah, we'll get the other side of the story. Yeah. He he did come back though, and we finished out our transfer together and we had a good time together. And um ultimately I, I've I knew at that point that I had to really relinquish the the strict nature of being a missionary and make sure that he felt comfortable with life. Um, so we did watch the second half of that champions league final with Liverpool and AC Milan. And it was funny because we had a dinner appointment that night and you know, whoever we were, I don't even remember who it was that we went to this dinner appointment with, but they had the game on like in the background and as we were getting ready to leave, the game had just started and not like three minutes in AC Milan had scored. And so I was like taking the mick out of Conway. I was like, Oh man, they're, they're just, they're toast. There's no way that they're going to win. Yeah. And he was just depressed, like totally depressed. <laughs> we were supposed to be knocking doors and he was just in a different world. And I said, all right, let's go find a place. We can watch the second half. And so we went over to um, a lady, her name's Karen Vickers. She was a single mom in our ward in Dunfermline and uh, went and sat down and we got there. It was halftime and Liverpool was down three to zero at half. And I was like, you know, how many times are people going to come back from such a deficit? But I told Conway, I said, all right, here's the deal. If, if uh, Liverpool come back and win this game, I will support Liverpool. They will be my team. And then they just, they scored like really quick into the first into the second half. Then they scored again, and then they tied it with like still like I don't know fifteen minutes left in the match. 
and ended up going to extra time and then to penalty kicks. <laughs> and I said, Elder, we got to go home. We got, I mean, it was like, I don't know, nine 45 by the time that extra time was about halfway over. And he, he was like, okay, we'll go home. But, uh, in any case, he, he did his, his brother, I don't know how his brother had our cell phone and his brother called him and told him the results of the game. And so he was really happy, but, uh, yeah, I just, I love serving with Dan and he was, he was a great missionary. I had a great testimony. I just think he lacked the confidence necessary to go about doing things. And, um, but nonetheless, love him to death and, uh, still keep in touch with him. So I'm definitely going to send him this podcast so we can get him on here. And that's your team. Liverpool's my squad. There you go. They've, they've won. They've won the double already with the or the um, the League Cup and the FA Cup. And next Sunday is going to be a little bit of. Uh, I'll have heart palpitations watching to see if Man City can drop some points. And because if Liverpool wins and Man City drop points, if they draw or lose, then Liverpool would be the Premier League champions. So. Oh, wow. Um, so were you, were you into soccer at all before the mission? No, no, I, I actually like, that's a funny story because being thrown into Scotland, like I was big into football. I was big into basketball, big into baseball. Um, I actually despised soccer in every sense of the, the word, because I just didn't understand it. Like it would just, I didn't understand the rules. I didn't understand why guys are going here and here and why you're kicking it from the corner at this point or throwing it in at this point, I should understand it. And, um, I, I went to a lot of like my, my buddies, high school soccer games, my senior year, because the team was really good. They ended up winning the state championship in Utah my senior year, but, uh, I should understand it. And so we were, I was just one of the rowdies that was there making noise the whole game, you know, kind of like you see in some like, South American, Central American, where they just have a drum that's beating the whole time and there's, you know, flares and stuff. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't understand it until that instance with Elder Conway. And I realized at that moment, I said, okay, clearly I'm not going to watch too much basketball. I remember we did watch uh, the NBA All Star game, if you remember, you and I at uh, a brother's house. Um, outside of Peterhead. I can't remember his name. He passed away pretty shortly after we were there too. Yeah. But, um, Brother's president, right. Cause he was yeah, in basketball, like only yep, one mm-hmm. of three people in Scotland who really enjoyed. Yeah, exactly. So. so, but for me, I just, I figured I was like, okay, well, if, if I love sports and if I want to like really have enthusiasm for the sports that are here in this country, then I just got to get into it. And that's why I decided to wager Conway on becoming a Liverpool supporter. And it's been a good choice uh, so far. It's, it was rough in the late 2000s, early 2010s when they were trying to figure things out, but it's been good the last few years. But uh, yeah, I've gotten to the point now where my wife thinks I'm crazy, where I'll roll <laughs> out of bed on a Saturday morning and watch a 5:30 in the morning game mountain time. And I don't know. It's just, kind of what you do to watch the beautiful game cool so yeah that's good and then after that i uh 
I served with um, Elder Littlefield for three transfers. That was the longest companionship I had um, my last four and a half months in Dunfermline. And he and I butted heads a few times, but we were kind of similar. You know, he's he's a taller, bigger built guy like me. And so we kind of had that same, you know, dominant feel as we went around. Um, one of my favorite experiences, though, that we ever had was we went in and sat down with one of our investigators and she had invited the Jehovah's Witnesses to our discussion and um, because she had been studying with them too. So I don't know how she balanced the two things. I mean, she's reading and studying with us and then also reading and studying with the Jehovah's Witnesses, but she invited them over when we were there and, um, you know, still being new in the mission and trying to figure out how to really showcase how much, you know, we have um, in our beliefs beyond what they have and things like that. I was, still wasn't quite all there yet, but uh, we came out of that meeting and for whatever reason, I don't know, I, I just have like a leadership gene in my brain. So I felt like because I had been in the area the longest, I needed to kind of be the leader of the area. And we got in the car, sat there and just kind of decompressed for a second. And then I said, Elder, what did we learn from that? And I don't remember the words he said, but the the spirit was unbelievable from him. It was like the most perfect testimony of what we learned from it and also realized that, you know, these are people that are trying to come closer to Christ and come closer to Heavenly Father through the way that they feel is best for them. But beyond that, it wasn't like we were in there bashing or, you know, referencing scriptures or anything crazy. It was just, honestly, we sat there for a solid hour, hour and a half being preached to. And we didn't say a whole lot, but I really appreciated his his insight and his spiritual thought at that point that he was like you know we're we're here for one reason and it's not to tell other people that they're wrong we're here to tell them that this is what we believe and this is what's brought us joy and happiness and that's all we can do so um hopefully we can get other little filled on here brent little filled to, to talk a little bit more about yeah, our interesting interesting four and a half months together that was he put up with a lot with me because I was still a very immature missionary at that point in time and uh, thought I knew everything that there is to learn, is to know, having only been out on the mission for less than six months when we first met. But he put up with me and put me in my place a few times and I was very grateful for that time together. Yeah, that's a pretty powerful revelation. I So coming from... Like, I didn't come from Utah, but I came from a place that's just as concentrated on the church as Utah. And mm -hmm. going to a place that was the exact opposite ratio, even more so. Yeah. Um, but realizing that we don't have a monopoly on blessings or no. prayer or uh, even a belief in our Savior. Right. I learned a lot from a lot of people in different religions. And then when I came home and lived in the, the Bible Belt of the United States in the South, um, that really helped me to 
be able to build friendships with people who weren't of our faith, but realizing that we shared common values uh, mm-hmm. and and a belief in our Savior. So, yeah. you know, like I felt like when I got home from my mission, the the things that I thought my mission would be weren't necessarily fulfilled, but a lot of them are now because of where I've lived and the experiences that I carried forward from that. So, yeah, yeah that's that's a that's a pretty powerful thing. I think that a lot of us had to learn uh, in oh, that live action field out there. Yeah. yeah, without a doubt, because you know you kind of come in and you're taught from day one that this is the truth. This is how you're going to portray the truth and share the truth and let the spirit manifest and give a witness that the things that you're talking about are true. And then to sit in situations where other people are talking about what they believe to be true, what they have had confirmation is the truth or what has brought them joy and satisfaction and, following God and their savior, however they want to portray it. Um, It's always very interesting to hear both sides. And from that point forward, I really appreciated each time I had those conversations. Now let's be honest. I did have a few instances where I did pull out a few scriptures and say, Hey, read this from your Bible and tell me if, uh, tell me what it says. And, you know, never in my, in my time trying to do that, was I successful? Yeah. In Nobody's getting converted that way, right? No, absolutely <laughs> not. But ultimately, it put me in a position where I was like, okay, this is an opportunity to listen as opposed to an opportunity to talk or preach or share or whatever. And I learned a lot from those experiences that put me in a position where I was like, okay, the likelihood of me converting every person that I talk to is pretty much zero. But I'm still here for the the purpose of sharing who I am or how I've come to understand and appreciate these things. And that's really all I could offer to that situation. So that's also something that nobody could take away from you. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I know we had a couple of situations, run-ins in Peterhead, like with the street preachers and things, and they definitely knew the scriptures way better than we did. Mm -hmm. Um, But no one can argue with your belief, your testimony, your personal witness. So. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting you say that because I just had a, a memory come to my mind that happened while I was in Dunfermline. And I'm pretty sure I was with Elder Littlefield at the time, but I think I was on an exchange with the zone leaders or with the, um, with the district leaders at the time. But we walked up to this door, knocked on it and, the woman who answered the door said, oh, yeah, hang on just a second. I'll get my husband. And I watched her kind of disappear into the hallway that was a pretty dark hallway. And all of a sudden, this large man appeared coming through the doorway. <clears throat> and he just laid it on us, like telling us that we were following a false prophet, telling us that we were uh, going to hell, that we were doomed from day one of believing in this religion and I really didn't have an answer at that point in time to like combat the things that he was saying. And so for me, I kind of took a moment where I was like, do I really know if this is what I believe to be true? Like, I, I don't know why, but like he shook my testimony. And so, and this was a few weeks in advance of 
general conference that year um, in October. And so I set out in that time frame between then and general conference to figure out if the Book of Mormon truly is the word of God and that it was given to us for a purpose. And and for the longest time, I was just felt like every prayer, every thought, everything just kept continued to feel like it was against me. And then general conference came around and for whatever reason, every flip and talk and every hymn that was sung had something to do with Joseph Smith and the book of Mormon. And I had this, I can, I can like close my eyes and I'm sitting in the pew in the Dunfermline chapel when I had this kind of aha moment that I know was the spirit that said to me, Zach, you dummy. <laughs> and, and I, and I was a little taken back at, at it initially, but the thought came to my mind. That it was like, you, you didn't have to ask again that you knew it was true. You've always known it was true. It's just a matter of, the situation you were in. And it was really quite an amazing experience for me because I was seeking to, an answer for something that I already knew the answer to. I just had been knocked off my perch a little bit for a period of time. Yeah. And um, I really liked the way that the spirit talked to me though. Cause honestly, that was the thought it was you dummy, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he wasn't, the spirit was not mincing words at that point in time, but it was, it was a pretty powerful um, testimony for me to just say, go about doing what you're doing. You're doing what's good. You're doing what's right. Just keep going. Don't give up because one person tells you that they think you're going to hell. I mean, ultimately they're not the decider in that. That's, that's on me. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that was a really big experience for me early in my mission where I had to really figure out, Hey, are you going to keep doing this or are you going to, you know, yeah, I think, set it aside and move, move on with life. I think every missionary has that point where like, you're not there anymore because it's just what you're supposed to do or because your parents expected you to, or, you know, whatever myriad of reasons you're either, you're either going to stay there because you believe in being a missionary or you're going to go home. So. Right, exactly. And I think that was kind of where I was. And the timing of all that was just so poignant that it was at that point. I think I'd been out for just over six six months, maybe seven months. And I was, you know, obviously in my first year of missing out on what I know, summer activities to be at home and all those different things that kept being shared with me on emails. <laughs> I was like, can you please stop? Can you just just leave me be? You know, and it was one of those moments where you're like, should I keep doing this or should I just pack it in and, and check out? And yeah. um, I was glad that that happened because it really put me in a place where I was like, okay, go about doing what you're supposed to do. And, um, and I'm glad I did. Yeah. It's like, it's like President Hinckley's moment when his dad wrote him and said, forget yourself and go to work and, yep. you know, just, just knuckle down and get to it. So, yeah, exactly. Cool, so. So from next? there, yeah. from there, from there, I went to Johnston, and I love that ward. It was a great place. Um, really got to know a lot of the youth in the Glasgow Stake because you had kids coming in and out of different wards periodically, which was fun. 
Um, but uh, I served with Elder Balak while I was there. And to say that was an easy situation um, would be a lie. I, I really love Ross to death, but I don't know. I just, I don't know. I struggled, struggled with him a lot. Um, just based upon, I think we had similar personality types where he wanted to lead and I wanted to lead. That's always and, the hardest. Yeah, it was really hard. And so I kind of had to step backwards and take on a lesser role than I was used to. And that was difficult. And then obviously I had a couple instances like, I didn't know this, but he had in his own mind, I learned this later, that he wanted to lose some weight. So he refused to ride the ride our bikes. This is my first area, mind you, that I didn't have a car. So, you know, I've been in the mission for nine months and spoiled to death having a car the entire time. And we're in this smaller area where, you know, you could take a bus or a train to some of the more outlying areas. But there was one instance where he's like, hey, we're going to, instead of taking a bus or, you know, doing something to go to the other side of this area, we're going to walk. And it was at the time of year where it was starting to get cold. It was kind of like October, November timeframe. And so I had my big puffy coat on. I'll never forget this. We were walking and all of a sudden it just tipped rain. It was unreal how, how wet we were. And my coat was soaked. Like I was basically carrying around like two buckets of water on my shoulders in that coat. And I don't remember if Elder Balak had been in the area before, if we whitewashed in, but we went and visited someone and they let us in. And I was completely mentally checked out of what we were doing because I was so, so focused on trying to get dry. So like, I kid you not, we're sitting in front of someone. I don't, I'd never met them before. And I don't know that I ever saw them again, but I kid you not. I took off my shoes while we're sitting on their couch. I took off my socks and I was sitting by a space heater and I was like holding my socks to the space heater to dry. And I, I remember my shirt was like completely drukit to use a Scottish word. I was soaked to the bone. And I, I just was like, I was miserable because he had decided he wanted to walk. And unfortunately, we got absolutely drenched in, in rain. But, uh, you know, beyond that, we had some really cool experiences. We had some really good discussions. And he had a great testimony. And I really enjoyed my time with him. Um, it was just, it was an opportunity for me to grow. And I remember having my president's interview that transfer, just saying how hard it was. Like I just did not mesh with him for whatever reason. And he's like, the one thing that president Vrain said to me is he goes, think about it this way. Think about the personalities of your children. And imagine the fact that you're not going to get along with all of your kids. <laughs> I was like, holy crap, that's a that's a pretty on-point thing to say, yeah. you know, that overall, you may get along with a few of them. But there might be one or two or that you just don't mesh with or you, you don't have the same likes or dislikes or whatever. And it was really an eye-opening experience for me. And I'm, I'm grateful for that experience. I'm even more grateful. It was only a six week period, but, uh, so 
anyway, I, and I love Johnson. I love the ward. I love the members there. There was a couple of, uh, of single sisters that had young kids or, um, older single sisters that, um, I guess they weren't single, they were married, but they were, you know, the only members in their family. And, but, uh, yeah, love that area. It was a great, great area, great people. Um, the Hale family was my favorite there. They're actually, um, the husband's is American and his wife is Scottish. He served his mission there and that's when he'd met his wife and lived there forever. And they had, um, some awesome young, young women in their house that ended up marrying some of the young lads from the Dundee stake and just great people. So love being in their house. But, uh, and then from there I got shipped up to Orkney. Um, that was a little bit of a shock. You know, that was, I celebrated my 20th birthday on the Isle of Orkney and, um, it was just me and elder George Willis. Um, he was piece of cake, but, uh, he, he just, he made me laugh endlessly and he was in his last transfer before he was going home. And so, um, I watched him do more pushups than read, read, uh, pages (laughs) of the book of Mormon. And that four weeks we were together. You trumped him out. Yeah. Well, I, I got four of those six weeks. He yeah. uh, was in a a trio the last couple of weeks in one of his uh, earlier areas. But um, the funniest experience I had on Orkney was uh, we had a, a recent convert sister that um, was kind of a pack rat type of a person, kind of a hoarder. Um, bless her heart. I mean, she clearly didn't have a whole lot of means, but she did the best that she could. And, um, this is probably something that hasn't been shared, but some of the elders on Orkney prior to me getting there, um, we did service at a pig farm on a weekly basis or biweekly basis, something like that. It was the brother of one of the members of the branch up there. And the, they had, the pigs had given birth and they were going to kill the runt the missionaries decided to take the runt back to their flat and had a, a piglet in their flat for however many weeks. Eventually oh, they figured out that was a bad idea. Um, and so they gifted this pig to this new, new convert sister. And she actually was, um, she loved cats to the point where the first time I sat in her living room, um, I didn't realize how many cats there were until she took out the box of cat treats and shook them and then put them in the middle of the floor. And I kid you not, I'm sitting on this couch and there had to have been 25 cats that came from all areas of the house to this place to, to eat. Now the funny thing is the piglet that had been donated to her was also part of this group. And the, if you if you know how pigs fight for food, they use their nose and they chuck things out of the way. So if I could have recorded this, it would have been this, the funniest video of all time. But I, I'm sitting there and I'm watching all these cats trying to get some piece of food while the pig is picking cats up with his nose and throwing them across the room. And I was it was the most entertaining thing ever. That's incredible. Um, but uh, yeah, that was one of my favorite 
experiences with Elder Willis. It was just, we did not go back to her house very often because she lived on a, a more distant part of, of the island. But uh, yeah, we had great members there, um, great spiritual experiences. My first Sunday in the branch, um, I gave a talk, I blessed and passed the sacrament. I gave the closing prayer and I taught the Sunday school lesson. <laughs> so that, that tells you how important the missionaries were to that branch. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was an interesting experience. We had, there was an investigator that um, happened to be one of those like long-term members of the local um, Protestant church, but the missionaries before me had shared with him a talk from one of the recent general conferences um, from Elder Uchtdorf, and he was just totally touched by the spirit by this talk. Like it had overwhelmed him to the point where he's like, "How could you not listen to this and know that this is a man of God?" And um, but the hard thing was because he's in a small town, in a small community, he ultimately could not make the jump to join the church because he would be put in a position where the people around him would pass a pretty large judgment on a decision to do that. Yeah. That uh, was interesting to see. And I had that happen a couple of times in my mission where there were people that knew what we were teaching was the true gospel of Jesus Christ, but just for whatever reason that just didn't fit their lifestyle at that moment in time. So I hope that those are the people that are given an opportunity in the life hereafter that they can say, Hey, my circumstances were this, if I, they were different, I could have, and maybe given them a, you know, a pass of some sort that they could accept the gospel or whatever. But, uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun. Um, Elder Willis introduced me to country music during that four week period of time. We listened to a lot of country music. Um, and every time I listen to those songs now, they take me right back to driving around that island in our tiny car. And Elder Willis was always like, oh, this is a very spiritual song. You'll love this one, Elder. <laughs> so, yeah, we were there for four weeks. I had flown in there. And then we took the, the ferry back because we had to bring our car. We closed the area. I had that happen a lot on my mission. And uh, that ferry ride was one that I will... I will never do again. It was just, <laughs> if, if you've ever taken a red eye flight, you know, and woke up, woken up in the morning and thought, man, that was a horrible flight. Imagine doing that on an eight hour boat ride where the, where, I mean, this is again, December in the North sea. And it was like this the entire time, just un, unreal how, how high the waves were and you could feel the whole boat like rocking it was just unreal like i don't know how i survived that it was un unbelievable so but uh and then from there went to glasgow for two weeks i served with eller bear um, in the zone leader area there for a little bit i was really hopeful that by some miracle i would go from not being a district leader to a zone leader to work to stay with other bear um other poland had been put in as the new assistant um a few weeks early so that's why i had that opportunity but uh met some great people in that ward for the few weeks I was there. And then um, shortly after that, I, I uh, trained Elder Marsh 
he was my my greenie and we whitewashed into the Montrose ward which I love so many people from that ward and had some great experiences there and that um, was right that was right at the end of my mission and we happened to be I believe we were in the same zone at that time so yeah because I think you were activities. yeah you were down in Kirkati at that point right yep yeah so that was that's cool. that's that's where that one photo came from when uh we played. no no not even that i'm talking about the the day at the park in dundee oh the football photo yeah the football photo that was a lot of fun so love serving elder marsh um i don't know at that point in my mission i really got into like this leadership mindset where i was trying to be the example to everybody so after i had elder marsh um you know, I don't think Elder Marsh enjoyed serving with me as much as I thought he did, just because I was a little bit more regimented than I probably should have been. Um, but, it, you know, it's just kind of who I am. And so in any case, uh, when Elder Marsh got transferred out, I got Elder King and uh, I was told on the phone and I, Brandon knows this. I, we we had a companionship inventory that went uh, the way that all companionship inventories should. But uh, we, when we first got together, I had been told by President Rains, hey, he's coming from kind of a rough start to his mission. He didn't have the greatest of examples as his um, companions. And I think he was in, uh, in Motherwell with four missionaries, and they, they had themselves some fun. But uh, So I was told to be very rigid with him, which I was for the first three and a half, four weeks until that companionship inventory when I was like, what the hell's wrong with you? And <laughs> <laughs> I kid you not, like that was the words that came out of my mouth. And ultimately he, he just kind of was like, nothing's wrong with me. Everything's wrong with you. And so we just started pointing fingers to the point where we figured out that we were just really too focused on the logistics of everything and should have been focusing on just enjoying being companions. Since then we've been like, really close friends and that's how, that's how it works for boys right you get in a fight and then your best friend yeah after, so. exactly and and we learned very quickly that we both had very sarcastic personalities and so we took took the mick out of each other quite a few times to the point where we loved every minute of being with each other <laughs> i know at one point he asked me to cut his hair and i totally butchered it so um if he can forgive me for that i he he had Sister Vrain's can attest to this. He had like really um, pokey stand-up hair. So he didn't really, he couldn't really part his hair. It was, so Sister Vrain's called him the porcupine. And she, and she used to like, she used to go up to him at zone conferences and put her hair on, on her hands on her head, on uh, Elder King's head and be like, oh, the pokey porcupine. And so at one one point he was like, hey, just cut my hair short enough where you can't really, tell that my hair is too pokey and i don't know i i hadn't done a lot of um skin, Bar fa skills skin, up skin, skin fades at that point in my life but uh i gave it a whirl and and then we went to church and he's like man my hair looks so bad you got to fix this he was so he was so bugged <laughs> but uh yeah we had some great experiences in montrose um and some challenging experiences we had at one point we've been challenged by the the assistance in one of our first um, zone conferences to to really commit people to baptism up front and then kind of work them to that point 
And we had five people that were committed to baptism and then they all fell apart. And, um, it was kind of, it was really devastating. A couple of them were really close too, but they just had some variables that the ward leadership were like, Hey, you got to figure this out before they can get baptized. And I was like, I don't know, kind of in my mind, I was like, you know, letter of the law does say that, but the spirit of law says, I want these people to keep coming to church. And I wish I would have discerned that better when I was a missionary, because I could have been like, look, I understand what the rules are. I understand what you're trying to accomplish, but I want these people to come to church. I want them to continue to progress in the church. And all of that happens by them being here, as opposed to telling them what they're doing wrong. And and immediately they just said, we're not coming anymore, which was unfortunate, but, uh, you know, live and you learn. That's just interesting experience. So, um, I love that area. It was great. And then, uh, Got transferred from there up to, I'm sorry, south first to Hamilton. I served with Elder Powell um, there for six weeks. And uh, I'm trying to think. At one point, I was with Elder Hardy as well. I think there was another companion. Oh, he was at in Motherwell at that point in time. And I don't know. Elder Hardy and I love that guy. He just made me happy. And that was my first area being as um, a district leader. So. That was an experience trying to keep everybody in check. Um, the worst part is um, Elder Loganberg was uh, was in our district, and he and I were in the same group in the MTC. And I'm pretty sure, I don't know if it was diagnosed or not, but he definitely had irritable bowel syndrome to the point where he would purposefully drink dairy and then just light the room up to the point where you felt like you were in a rotten egg factory. So I'm calling him out for that. He, he At one point, he uh, definitely left uh, a flatulent in a trash can and then turned it over and left it in our flat. And I had to turn the trash can over and get basically sprayed like, like a, by a skunk in the face. But, uh, yeah, we, we had a lot of fun in that area. Um, I loved... The bishopric was great there. So was uh, the Wark family. Um, Ryan Wark is one of my favorite people, and his little brother Aaron. They all served missions after, which is a lot of fun. That was one of my favorite things about my entire mission was interacting with the youth that were active in the church and being a good example to them to say, "Hey, being a missionary isn't all about just you know the the routine. It's about also being yourself and making the most of how you share the gospel." So. Um, that was a lot of fun. I just loved uh, interacting with them and spending time with them. Um, yeah, and then the last six months of the mission, I was in Aberdeen as his own leader. I served with Elder Pattenden for the first three months. This is the younger Elder Pattenden. Um, and then I finished my mission with three glorious months with Elder Brant Peacock. Um, I love that man to death. But... Uh, we had some amazing experiences too in that ward. And I finally figured out um, there's a little blurb in my, in my patriarchal blessing that says um, that I would go to a place where the people need me and they would, they need my unique talents and skills to serve them. And at that point in my mission, I, I, I didn't physically perform any baptisms 
I saw a few of the people that I taught get baptized, which was great by family members or people closer to them than me. But um, I realized in that area that that was that was something that I wish I would have been more of on my mission was myself. I was a little bit too rigid throughout the process of trying to be what I perceived to be a, a good, righteous missionary that I just was a little bit too focused on those things as opposed to being myself. But in that last six months, I really just came into my own, loved the people, loved, um, loved on them hard because we had been whitewashed in. Unfortunately, we had some missionaries that made some bad choices and um, had been emergency transferred out of that area. But uh, nevertheless, it, there was a lot of trust that needed to be built up in that time frame. And I know for a certainty by my, my third transfer that we had built that trust and that by the time I had left, the trust had been restored in us as missionaries in that area, awesome. which was, was really a huge, huge challenge. But nevertheless, it had to be done in order for the work to continue in that amazing stake. It's just an incredible place and has a lot of amazing members that are in that area. So, yeah. but you know, for me, um, because I had discovered at that point that it was also an opportunity to kind of loosen up and have fun at the same time, we had really fun zone, um, zone activities. I think I told you, we, we took a day to Slane's castle up in the Peterhead area and went to, uh, capture the went, flag. Played, played capture the flag. Yeah. For almost an entire afternoon with, uh, four or five sets of missionaries, which was just unbelievable. Um, one of my favorite stories of all time was, uh, if you remember, there was, there was a flat that the Aberdeen, like the second set of Aberdeen missionaries lived in where you'd come in the front door and the bedrooms were on the main entry. And then you went up the stairs and then up again to the bathroom, the kitchen and the living room. And my, when I, this is when I was with Elder Pattenden, the other two missionaries were um, Elder Harlow and um and his greenie i'm trying to remember what his name is he's now a dentist but in any case we went over to uh their flat one night and this was like just before nine o'clock we found out we had a spare key to their flat and oh boy so so we saw that they were they were home that they were at the flat already so we opened the flat door as quick, as quietly as we could. And, um, Elder Patton and then snuck through into their bedrooms in the dark, mind you. And then as I went through, I kind of rattled the door and Elder Harlow comes down <laughs> onto the platform and sees me. Cause I think we were in our street clothes and I zoomed past like into, into the flat. And he's like screaming at the top of his lungs, like a little girl. And I, I'm trying not to laugh or pee my pants at this point, because it was just hilarious how he was reacting. The first person that he called, though, was our cell phone. <laughs> and Elder Patton had not put the phone on silent. And so we, we got we were given away. And I was like, 
you gotta be kidding me. Like we had this a perfect prank. They're upstairs, like <laughs> totally scared to death that there's two people that just broke into their flat <laughs> and and your phone isn't on silent. I was so I was so bugged. But uh it was so funny just to hear just to hear Elder Harlow. He completely lost his mind for a minute. But uh we, we had a good laugh about that one. That was too funny. And then the funniest thing ever happened um, to Elder Pattenden one night. Apparently, I was like dead to the world one night. I don't know what happened. Um, Elder Pattenden was a snorer. And so I put my earplugs in <laughs> so that I didn't have, to, didn't have to hear him snoring. So I get a good night's sleep. And so I had gone to sleep. The next day, Elder Pattenden was like, dude, w- why didn't you wake up last night? I was like, what are you talking about? He said, excuse me, that some people in our flat, like in our apartment building, in the flat building had come up the stairs, thought that our door was their flat door. And they tried the key and they couldn't get in. So they're banging on the door thinking that their roommates inside. I think it's a couple of, of drunk girls banging on the door. And he's, trying to wake me up and I didn't wake up. Like I was just, I was completely dead. He, I think he said he shook me. Like I just could not. So anyway, we wake, we wake up and he says, I can't believe you didn't wake up last night. I was like, what happened? He tells me the story. And then he said that the girls had left for a minute and then came back and they had gotten some sort of like plaster or Paris or something and like tried to caulk our door shut. Like it, it was just the dumbest thing ever. But like I woke up and I, I opened the door and I saw everything that he's talking about. And I'm like, how did I sleep through that? Like I had no idea that that was happening. That's but hilarious. like he had this hellish night. And I, I, I slept through the whole thing. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So yeah, that was, that's kind of my mission in a nutshell. And, I know I'm a little long-winded, but man, it was an incredible experience, something that I reflect on on a daily basis, and I'm forever grateful for both the people that I met while there, as well as the experience that I had, experiences that I had while I was there, because without them, I think I'm a different person altogether as far as how I carry myself, how I do business, how I interact with individuals or groups it just put me in a different place where i don't know it's it, uh, everything i can glean back to and say that it had everything to do with my time in scotland awesome i think that's uh that's a great place to leave off on because i'm sure a lot of people feel the same way you know there's hardly a day that goes by i, I think i can pretty honestly say there's not a day that goes by that i don't think about scotland in some way so yeah, agreed. I mean, it's just become part of who we are, and it's an incredible place. And there's nothing better in the world than finding somebody from there and being able to understand every word yeah. that comes out of their mouth. Where are you from? <laughs> I had that experience. We were at Disney World a few years ago, and I'm sitting in line um, at the Avatar ride, and the people in front of me have the thickest Glaswegian accent that I'm ever that I had heard in a long time. And I was like, what part of Glasgow are you from? And they went, how'd you know that? I said, <laughs> I lived in Scotland for two years. 
And I was sitting there with my wife and my wife is having interactions with them and conversations. And at one point they said something that was like totally Scottish jargon. And she, she heard their words, but then she did the turn and look at me like, what did they just say? And I had to translate the Scottish for her. So that was just, it was totally, it was so glorious. Nothing better than being able to converse with someone in the native tongue of Scotland. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. So, but yeah, thank you so much, Jack, for taking time and allowing me to share my journey through Scotland. Um, Shout outs and calling out. I want to make sure that all the companions that I've mentioned come on. We'd love to have you to talk with you to hear about your experience in Scotland. And beyond that, um, I'm thinking about my particular group from the MTC, um, Elder Streeter, Elder Fisher. This is the blonde Fisher, the one that looked like Eminem. Elder Uh, Divine. Elder Divine, Elder Elder Cotton Betteridge, uh, Elder Barber, Elder Pilkington. Um, I think that was about it. It's a pretty good group, though. We did. We had a, we had a really good sized group, and uh, but all great missionaries that did amazing things in our mission. All right. So I'll make you, sure to send this to him. You heard it. Thanks. Zach. All right. All right, Jack. Thanks a lot. Have a good night. If you guys want to be on the SEM podcast and you're not part of that group that has been called out, send us an email to SEM podcast at fifty one spylaw. That's five one spylaw dot com. And uh, we'll get you on the on our uh, upcoming podcast schedule. But uh, in the meantime, we appreciate all those that are on deck. And we're looking forward to talking to a lot of you. So yep. thanks, Jack. All right. Have a good night.